So I want you to think about that for a second. Let that, that picture sink in. So as we begin, as we begin this class uh, together, I think uh, that that points to two things. Everyone's hands raised with those questions. Uh, one, two things I think it points to. One, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, you should be encouraged. You aren't the only one who needs help. You aren't the only one who sins against their kids. Uh, you aren't alone. Um, I had my hand raised too. None of us have this fully figured out. This class is not for perfect people. That's why we have it. Um, this class isn't for perfect people. You can take a breath. Um, you can take comfort in the fact that uh, we're all learning. Um, some of us may be on different parts of that path, but we're, we're, all, on the same, uh, we're all on the same journey. Um, I also think that all hands raised is indicative of another grander truth. This would be the second thing. Um, all of us acknowledging that we need something, uh, we need something greater than us, okay? We need something greater than us. All of us had our hands around. So if we looked around, and if we can see that honest appraisal of ourselves, we can truthfully testify that the secret solution for discipling our children does not lie within us. It doesn't. Um, and that, that is the crucial starting place of the gospel, knowing that left to ourselves, we fall short. So on our own, you already know this. I'm telling you something you know. On your own, you cannot fabricate enough goodness, enough effort, enough resets when we screw up. Uh, but the good news of the gospel is that we have a Savior who is enough, one who brings goodness and effort and continual resets on our behalf. And then that plays into um, our children as well. So uh, that, that, that picture of us all raising our hands, um, I think is an acknowledgement of our need for something greater than us. Even deeper than that, um, could that be your vulnerable surrender, even as we start this class, of your will to the one who orchestrates all things and desires to give you what you need to disciple your kids well? Uh, parenting and discipleship, you guys know this, this is no, it's no small deal. It's a big deal. There's responsibility there, but it's also not reserved for perfect people. It's not reserved for perfect people. Um, I want you to think about this for a second. God had you in mind when he created your kids. God had your kids in mind when he created you. You are uniquely positioned to lead your kids to follow Christ. You are uniquely positioned to lead your kids to follow Jesus, um, even in all of your imperfections and your problems, uh, because they get to have a front row seat um, to the solution to those imperfections and problems, and that's Jesus. Okay, so you are uniquely positioned to lead your kids to follow Jesus. So over the next six weeks, um, what our family ministry team wanted to do to, to put on a class like this um, isn't from a position of we have it all figured out, but can we come together and talk about some things that, are, that, that we need to aim towards together? We want to help equip you um, with a transforming message of the gospel that informs and directs our parenting and informs our leadership um, and our growth as disciple makers. Um, our, this may be bold, uh, but we talk about that. Our, our desire is that we would see future generations of Summit Church, which would be your kids and their kids and their kids' kids, future generations of Summit Church grounded in the Christian faith, unapologetically holding to a biblical worldview, and then making disciples of their own. That really is our desire here at Summit and as part of our family ministry team. Um, so this workshop over the next six weeks will be a mix of, it'll be a mix of teaching, some breakout discussions at your tables, um, hopefully some insight into some helpful resources for you, um, and then again, providing an environment where you can collaborate and learn uh, from other parents. Um, that's why these tables uh, are here. I realize that some of that will only come, some of that learning together, um, learning from each other that requires a bit of a relationship sometimes um, and vulnerability, but I want to encourage you to be willing to share um, about some areas that are challenging you or you just maybe can't seem to get a handle on. Someone at your table may have walked through something very similar um, or is walking through something similar um, that they could, and they could share something that they've learned or a strategy that, that they've used to navigate that situation. Um, I have found that teaching and, and theory are good. We need that, obviously. It's why we're doing this class. But um, I have picked up some phenomenal insights, gospel-centered insights from people that I trust around a, around a table. Um, many of you know that some of our staff was able to attend a, um, a ministry conference in Atlanta a few months back, and there was a time where we were at Chick-fil-A, because where else would you eat when you're at a Christian conference? We were at Chick-fil-A, 
eating lunch, <clears throat> and I was at a table with, again, a few people from our, from our staff, people that I trust, and uh, Gabby and I had been having a discussion about just something that was challenging the two of us, being at home at the end of a day, like there's things, you guys know this, there are things that you have to get done before the start of the next day, and by the time you get your kids in bed and the house clean and everything else, it's like we were, we were pooped, we didn't have any time to just like spend together, um, and it was so hard to shut down like task work that we know would set us up better for the next day, especially if you stay-at-home moms, you know what that's like. Like, that's hard. That was something we were struggling with. What's the balance between getting things done that we need to get done, but also being able to shut it off and just, like, sit on the couch together, not staring at our phones or not watching Netflix or whatever else it is? We were struggling with that. Um, and so I just, I brought that up at a Chick-fil-A table over lunch. Um, and then the, the other people at our table were like, yeah, we struggled. You know, these are all, these are, I was sitting with four ladies, and they had all, they had all walked through this um, before. And they, you know, some of them were still working through that, but some of them had some really phenomenal insights some of the strategies that they used, some of the things that they talked through um, that helped me start thinking through that a little bit more. Um, and while that shouldn't be mind-blowing, like every time I have, a, have an opportunity where I'm around a table and there's just, there's a vulnerability and you can share that together, um, I learn so much from other people. I learn so much from other people. So I want some of the breakout discussions that you guys have to be some of that, be willing to collaborate um, it's like, yeah, you know, it's our, our discipline thing right now is really struggling. This is really hard. And some other couple may go, yeah, we really struggled with number two in that area. Here's something that we like did. I don't know if it'll work for you. And you go, whoa, that's like, I never thought about that. Like, those are the types of things I hope happen around uh, some, of, some, of your, some of your tables. Um, you'll see this on the screen here. Uh, but the first three weeks of this six-week class, we want to we wanna lay the foundation um, uh, and the principles of, of family discipleship. We want to work through a strategy of what that would maybe look like implementing that into your own life. And then the second three weeks, after we've done that, we want to engage uh, like three specific topics that would be at the forefront of, of Christian parenting. So discipline, technology, and gender and sexuality. <laughs> that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Um, so you can kind of see the two, uh, you can kind of see the two, two breakdowns there of, of the two sets of, uh, of three weeks. Um, you're going to hear from different members <clears throat> of our family ministry team as well as other leaders uh, or parents in our church, all of whom are normal people like you, uh, attempting to trust God with the growth and maturity of their children, their grandchildren. We don't have all the answers. I already mentioned that, but we know the one who does. Um, and we've worked um, to think carefully through these things so that we can help you along your way and you can help us along the way as well in conversation. So I'm grateful that you've decided to join us. Um, will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Uh, thank you for an opportunity to just be together. Um, thank you for your word spoken so powerfully to us this morning, uh, the beautiful weather we received today, um, just evidences of your love and your grace in our life. Um, we ask that you would be with us today, that you would help us learn things uh, about your character, who you are, what you desire of us, um, and that uh, the knowledge of who you are, your spirit at work within us, would begin, would begin the heart change that then would play itself out into... Um, into our, into our behavior, into our strategy, and what, what that looks like to reflect that to our, to our children as well. So, um, God, we thank you for who you are, um, the gift of your son, Jesus, for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to give you your first, like, table talk opportunity. So I'm going to give you five minutes. That's it, just five minutes. Um, and I want you to, maybe just a couple of you share, uh, what is something you're looking forward to? Um, in this class, or maybe something you're hoping to learn and grow in. So that's very open-ended, but maybe a couple of you share out just five minutes. Don't have to get into a full discussion there. Something simple you can share. And then um, throughout this class, uh, the other thing is you'll see a number on the screen. Josh is going to throw that up for me. And there it is. Uh, if you have questions about something that we talked about or said, or like you want to write something down really quick, you can text a question to that number. Um, that's just an anonymous number that I can log in somewhere and pull those questions from. So you've got questions that something you would want us to address or um, uh, something else that you had a question about, um, by all means do that. That will be on the bottom of the screen the whole time so you don't have to write it down. Even though you're on it, Kelsey, she wrote it down. She was ready. We'll have that um, up there. So again, five minutes real quick at your tables. What are you looking forward to with something you're hoping to uh, maybe grow in or learn about as we go? Ready? Break. All right, so um, growing up, uh, my mom, uh, my mom played the piano and she sang uh, at, at church or in nursing homes a lot. Uh, she was, she still is very musically gifted. 
Uh, that gift ran through the rest of our, our family. So all of us, all of us sing, um, most, all of us kids, we, she had four kids, all of us sing, most of us play, um, or at least played an instrument at some point. I was no exception to that, so I started taking piano lessons in elementary school, um, and I continued that up until uh, senior year in high school. Um, my mom was not my teacher. Uh, I first began with another lady in our, in our church, and then later I joined a small music school in Granger with a few other boys my age. So my parents would take me to the music school, is what it was called. Uh, they would drop me off. I'd have my lesson. I would learn piano things. I would become better at piano. Uh, then they'd come pick me up. Um, now, so, so while I lived in a musical home, and my, my mom played the piano, uh, and much of that was reinforced when I was at home, the primary place that I was being trained in piano was at the music school, okay? Unfortunately, um, this is commonly how many people view the church as well and the development of, of their kids' faith. So church can be seen like a piano lesson. Um, I drop my kids off at Summit Kids or once a week or youth group, preteen. Um, they learn about God, their faith, they become better Christians. All the while, I do my part to live out a moral life and hope that they turn out to be, to be good people. That may be, you know, hyperbole there a little bit, but you, you get my point. Um, well done in encompassing research, both by Sticky Faith and then Barna as well, shows that over half of those who grow up in Christian homes walk away from Christianity by the time they leave the teen years. Half. That's horrifying. Um, one of the primary reasons for that is that parents outsource the spiritual formation of their children to the church. Um, now, let me clearly state, uh, one of the best things you can do is have your kids present here, engaging or somewhere, engaging in a local church community, learning about and experiencing Jesus. But let me also clearly state that your home is the primary place where this should be happening, um, and the church is where all of that is then reinforced, okay? Um, there are numerous examples of the, the, the call to biblical parenting, discipleship, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, you got to know that's wisdom literature. That's not a, a straight-up promise, but a principle. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses on, and on your gates. Hear the emphasis that the author is making, the Lord is making on his commandments to be in and throughout everything that you do. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I need to have that one tattooed to my forehead. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So to stick with the metaphor, you are your child's piano teacher. Uh, the church is the group of people that they play piano with alongside of you learning and growing with everybody else. Okay, so the clear imperative in Scripture is that you are the primary disciple of your children. Uh, moreover, Deuteronomy says, we just read through, the ways, the commands of the Lord to be on your hearts. Notice the order there. They're to be on your hearts. Now impress them on your children. In other words, one who instructs must have a basis from which they are instructing from, right? So you need to be able to play the piano if you are going to teach the piano. Okay? You need to have your own faith if you're going to develop faith in your kids. You can't lead someone where you haven't been. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to have a master's in divinity or a certain amount of the Bible memorized before jumping into discipling your kids. But it does mean that you are actively developing your own faith, learning of who God is, all He's done, and what He's calling you to do. Now, again, a lot of this, you're like, okay, I already know this. This is what I came to this class for. Um, we're going to talk about what that means in particular, but it's, it's important for us to start here. Where is that starting place? It's the gospel. Here we go again. Chuck's talking about the gospel. Yes, we're talking about the gospel. Developing a personal ownership of the gospel is going to be paramount to your success at discipling your kids. Developing a personal ownership of the gospel, and we're going to talk about what that means, is going to be paramount to your success at discipling your kids. The gospel has the power to inform and direct every aspect of your lives, including parenting. Um, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look up 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1. 
This is a little bit of a longer uh, piece here, about eight verses, so I didn't throw this on the screen. So 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 31. This is what it says. Uh, but we preach Christ crucified, that's the gospel, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, or to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I feel like that describes us quite well here. Uh, But God chose the foolish things of the world, all of us who raised our hands, it says we're incomplete, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remember, the gospel is our unity with Christ. So if we are unified with Christ, we have this. We have righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It is the power that flows through us to do things that he has called us to do, including our parenting. So in our weakness... And our, and our lowliness, us not having our parenting all together, all hands on, on, on display there, it is God's power on display then through the gospel. So before, before any talk of strategy or rhythms of discipleship that we'll talk about comes in ownership of the gospel. And here's why. I want you to track with me here. The gospel is a story of redemption, right? The gospel is a story of redemption. Something beautiful is broken and marred. It's separated from that which created it. Now it's in need of restoration. Jesus absolves that brokenness, restores creation back to its creator by his power, okay? The gospel is by nature redemptive, okay? Biblical parenting then becomes an extension of that redemptive work. So you are given children that are his, by the way. Read Psalm 127. These are God's children. He gives them to you as a gift and a blessing. These, these children are beautiful image bearers, but they are broken and they are marred by sin. They are separated from the God who created them. And so you, who have been saved and redeemed, are now instruments chosen by God to help form a human soul. You are ambassadors participating in this redemption process as he restores his children back to himself, training them to lay down their desires to follow Jesus. Okay? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Think about it. You are uniquely positioned by God to take part in bringing your children back to the Lord, taking part in that gospel story. So when I say, and that, that, that's going to require an ownership of the gospel on your part, okay? An ownership of the gospel. Now what I mean when I say ownership of the gospel is that the redemptive story of Jesus has so gripped your heart that it impacts what you believe and how you live. That's an ownership of the gospel. The the, the redemptive story of Jesus has so gripped your heart that it impacts what you believe and how you live. So you recognize the implications of life without God. You realize the deadly yet beautiful sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, and you turn from yourself to submit to His leading willingly following his purpose for your life. That is ownership of the gospel, recognizing it, believing it, that you are identified, unified with Christ when he is, after he's, he has saved you and asking for forgiveness. So how can, how can ownership of the gospel, again, this is where we want to start tonight, how can ownership of the gospel impact your parenting um, or our discipleship, leading our, leading our kids to follow Christ? I want to give you two gospel principles that should typify our, our parenting, okay? And I'll just spend a few minutes um, on each of these. Uh, some of this I'm pulling from, um, actually, no, some of this I'm pulling from Paul Tripp's book. Uh, we both had very similar ideas from Scripture, which makes sense. That's good. Um, there's a parenting book that's on the table back there. Uh, it's called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. It's one of the books that we offer um, if you come through our child dedication class. Uh, the second teaching chunk uh, tonight, later this evening, we'll jump into some very practical ways that this can play out, how to keep the gospel story in front of your children. Um, but first, some gospel principles. These are, these are lenses and filters through which we faithfully walk out our parenting. If this is where we have to start, if we're going to do anything with, with parenting our children in, in, in the way of the Lord, if we're going to do anything with discipling our kids, 
we have to start with the gospel. So what are some gospel principles that you can begin to see and run what you do through this as filters and lenses? This is all part of owning the gospel, okay? This first one is the law principle. The law principle. Here's the law principle, and you can write this down. I gave you space for this if you write small, I think. Uh, the law principle is this. Your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. So in Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about the nature of the law, okay? God's law, God's commands that he lays down. Um, and he, while he reveals that it is good, it's the good, it reveals the good that we ought to do, it also reveals the sin of our hearts, okay? So, if you, again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me on Romans 7. Actually, I have this on screen, so you don't have to turn there. Uh, Romans 7, 7, and 8. This is what he's talking about, the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So in other words, knowing our sinfulness, God in His mercy gives us boundaries through the law, basically tracks to run on, a clear knowledge of right and wrong that guides our behavior. And it's within those boundaries that we can find protection, mainly from the evil that is within each of us, okay? However, it is because of that given law that our sin then becomes revealed. It's that measuring line at, at Cedar Point that some short kid walks up to and doesn't pass, right? Uh, Paul's example is coveting. Um, I desire and I dwell on something that somebody else has rather than what I've been given. And God says, that is not of me. That law, and so the law then reveals our sin. It's that big red button that says, don't push. And I find myself wanting to push it. It reveals in me a desire to buck the rule and do what I want, Okay. So while the, while the law reveals what we ought to do, it also is what reveals our sin. It, it, it shows us what our sin is, not just the good things we ought to do, but it reveals that we can't do it. Your kids are born with that. You know that? Did you recognize that? You guys know that, right? Your kids are born with that uh, the same way that you are. We need the law to guide us, but the law also reveals that we can't live up to it or fulfill all that it asks. So in other words, while the law is good, it cannot produce in us the righteousness that it reveals we don't have. Right? While the law is good, it cannot produce in us the righteousness that it reveals we don't have. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Okay, let's translate the par- that to parenting. If rules and regulations had the power to change the heart and life of your child... Jesus would never have needed to come. If rules and regulations had the power to change the heart and the life of your child, meaning rescuing, rescuing them from themselves, giving them a heart of submission and faith, if, if, the, if the rules that we lay out, if God's law that he lays out were able to do that, to change them into those ways, Jesus would never have needed to come. So, while your children need to know God's law, what is good and what is evil, what is sin and what is holy and right. They need to know that, as we do. There is danger in our thinking or asking the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Okay? I do this without even thinking about it. <laughs> I do this in my kids without even thinking about it or knowing, knowing that I do it. I assume many of you do this as well. We, can, we subconsciously assume that as we craft and enforce boundaries based on the good morality that we see reflected in the Bible, our children will be formed in the right way. And you say, well, yeah, that's kind of... Okay, are you starting to catch what I'm saying here, though? Only Jesus can do that. So rules and regulations are good. God's law is good. We need to be able to, to set up boundaries. But too easily, I think we slip into the mindset, I do at least, maybe this is just for me, that law principle that, I'm, that as I am enforcing, the, enforcing these laws, enforcing these boundaries, some of them it might be actually my law and not God's law, um, I'm thinking that that is what is going to change my child into the way they ought to be. Nope. If that was true, Jesus never needed to come. Okay? Paul Tripp says it this way, um, 
in, in, in his book, uh, the one I referenced, the, the, parent, uh, the 14 Gospel Principles. Many Christian parents, he says, have reduced Christian parenting down to being a really faithful lawgiver, arresting officer, prosecutor, judge, and jailer. Their parenting is basically a body of rules followed by threats of punishment. Yes, children need rules and they need faithful correction, but that simply is not enough. If all that your children needed was the knowledge and enforcement of rules, then the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would not have been necessary. The law does a very good job of exposing your child's sin, but it has no power whatsoever to deliver your child from it. It's convicting, isn't it? It's convicting for me. The law has no ability. Your rules have no ability to give your child a new heart. The law has no ability to create lasting change in your child that you long for. The law cannot and will not rescue, redeem, or restore your child, but that's exactly what every child needs. So, the question for you to consider out of this is, how much hope have you been putting in the law to change your child? How much hope have you been putting in the law, the things that you set up that are good for them to do to, to change your child? I just don't know why they're not, like, what else do you want? What else do I do? Like, they're not doing, I'm disciplining them for disobedience. All of it. Why isn't that changing them? Like, I have the right things laid out. How much hope are you putting in the law to change your child? A further, perhaps more convicting question how much of your anger or frustration directed towards your children is because they are breaking God's law or your law? Getting in the way of what you want or inconveniencing you. Um, as I was preparing through this, this, this whole thing is extremely convicting to me in my parenting. Um, so I, I'm here. I hope this is helpful for you. But I was thinking through that one in particular. When my frustration and my impatience flares up with my children, I... If I, could, if I could zoom out a little bit and look, how much of that is actually because I am broken the fa- over the fact that they are breaking God's laws, or I'm just frustrated because they have inconvenienced me or caused me uh, to delay something I'm doing or something that I have laid out in front of them that I think they should be doing, and I'm, I'm upset that they've come against me, not necessarily against the Lord, okay? The law principle. Your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. And that leads us into our second principle, the grace principle. The grace principle. Again, this is, this is all under the umbrella of owning the gospel, okay? You, if you have these principles down, this will help you think through how we interact with, with our children. So the grace principle, God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to accomplish it. Now, some of what I have uh, talked about already tonight has been said on an assumption um, that you and I are on the same page when it comes to sin. Uh, but to clarify... All of us, while we're made in the image of God, should I wait because you guys are writing down like good, look at you guys, just writing down the definition of the grace principle. So proud of you. I'll wait. Good job. Okay. All of us, let me clarify. All of us, while we're made in the image of God, we have a sinful nature as a result of Adam and Eve's decision in the garden to follow self instead of God, okay? So we each have that rebellion now. We're born with it. Uh, in our hearts, this natural bend away from God. So you need to remember that the attitude problems, the disobedience problems, the being nasty to their siblings problems, all of those are symptoms of a greater sickness in their hearts, okay? You have to remember that. It's the sin inside of them, talking about your kids, that messes everything up, okay? And the law, which we just discussed, has no ability to deliver them from that mess. While it shows the good things they ought to do, it cannot deliver them from that mess. So putting more rules, regulations, thoughts, enforcing those better in a better way, that, that's not going to change them. So you and your children come into the world in desperate need of God's rescuing, forgiving, transforming, delivering grace, Okay? As a parent, you are not called to just enforce God's law in the lives of your children, but also to constantly exhibit and teach God's grace to them as well. You are called not to just enforce God's law in the lives of your children, but also to constantly exhibit and teach God's grace to them as well. So God calls us to be holy, to follow his good law, but the very law we're to follow reveals just how much we can't follow it. Okay? Our holiness falls short, but God never calls you to a task, follow the law, without giving you what you need to accomplish it. Hence the gospel, the gospel of grace, his grace. 
Often I think it's easier for us to understand um, grace, when we talk about grace, as past grace and future grace. So past grace is that forgiveness that we've received from Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Future grace is that eternity in heaven that's been promised to us who have trusted in Jesus. But we often miss present grace, and I taught a whole sermon about this, but right, the right now benefits of being in Christ, united with him. Okay, so again, I, I preached a lengthy sermon on grace a few weeks ago. It's on our website if you want to go back and listen to that, but I'll try to summarize it here for the sake of time and to emphasize this grace principle. Grace is undeserved favor and provision shown to us in Christ and extended to us through, or extended to others through us. Grace is undeserved favor and provision shown to us in Christ and extended to others uh, through us. It's God's grace uh, that changed uh, and changes our hearts. It forms us into the likeness of Christ. God's grace provides us with the stamina for the exhausting days. It provides us with peace when we're at a loss for how to fix our kids. It favors us by filling in the gap when we fall short. It favors us through His kindness and His mercy. The law shows us what we should be doing, but it's God's grace that gets us there. Okay? Romans 2.4 tells us that it's God's kindness and His goodness that lead to repentance. The same should be true in your parenting. The discipleship of your kids, the law doesn't lead to change, but grace will. So on the surface, that may seem like just a slight shift um, from law-based parenting to grace-based parenting, and even how all that lays out is, is, you know, it's, it's challenging, but it has massive implications for your kids. So are you putting hope in the law to change your kids, or are you trusting in the grace of Christ to form them? Um, all the while, you fill in the gap for them, extending kindness and mercy even when they don't deserve it, as it has been done for you. So as I, as I wrap this principle up, um, I want to be clear. Extending grace doesn't mean that, you, that you're letting sin go unchecked. That's not what that means. Um, but there is a tenderness and a compassion that comes from the heart of Christ towards sinners, towards you and I. And then the hard part is that we take that same tenderness and compassion that God that gifts us with, that we then take that and we, we need to model that to our children when they're being disobedient and they're driving us crazy. I struggle hard with this. I really do. When they don't meet my law, <laughs> I'm, when I'm, I'm short with them, I'm almost appalled sometimes. Anybody else feel in a place where like they do something and I'm just like, I'm appalled. Like, how could you even do that? It makes no sense. Like, why you would do that? You, how could you be so foolish? Like, why is that okay in your brain? And I'm going, oh, yeah, sin. Okay, I completely forget my own foolishness in that Jesus met my foolishness with his gentleness, laying himself down to meet me in my brokenness. This is the grace that we're to extend to our children. When they sin, correction is necessary, but how we correct is important. So do we simply or coldly enforce the deserved punishment, or do we inconvenience ourselves by dropping our impatience, refusing to be put off by their sin? Struggle with that, okay? There's, there's so much more that we could work through here on this idea. We'll get into some practical pieces of this, but I'll, I'll close this, this portion with a, with a thought here from a book that I'm reading. It's called Gentle and Lowly. This is one of the, the resources I'll recommend to you. Um, this is a beautiful book about the heart of Christ towards sinners in particular. And the question is asked, this is the last chapter I just read, um, the question is asked, as parents, what's our job? It's not even a parenting book. It's about the heart of Christ towards sinners, but it, it touches on parenting here for a minute. Um, as God our Father, it makes sense. Uh, the question is asked, as parents, what's our job? The question could be answered with a hundred valid responses, but at the center, our job is to show our kids that even our best love is a shadow of a greater love to put a sharper edge on it, to make the tender heart of Christ irresistible and unforgettable. And listen to this now. This got me. Our goal is that our kids would leave the house at 18 and be unable to live the rest of their lives believing that their sins and sufferings repel Christ. If I could keep that quote in front of me every day unable to live the rest of their lives believing that their sins and sufferings repel Christ. It's good stuff. It's a tall order, even. But...
the grace of God not only exemplifies that, but it gives us the power to carry it out in our, in our lives. Okay? I want to close with a scriptural prayer here, Ephesians 3. Just close your eyes. I want to read this, and then we'll, we'll walk into the next piece. But Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We need an ownership of the gospel, yes? Yeah. All right, so before we, um, before we jump into some more table talk and then a, and then a break, I want to share a couple of resources uh, with you. Um, I haven't read all of these. Um, I've read three of these and parts of the other three, but all of these um, have been read and trusted by leaders in our church. Uh, they're gospel-centric. Um, you can trust these resources. The first one is, uh, and when I, the first three of these um, are really more about our ownership um, of the gospel. Nope, all of these. Don't worry about it. Uh, let me just walk through these. The first one, The Imperfect Disciple. Um, this, uh, I've read this book probably four times now. Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. Um, this, this one, again, is about developing an ownership of the gospel, resting in God's grace. Um, this is a big help if you, if you need to understand your secure identity in Christ. Um, again, I've read this several times. Uh, Jared Wilson is down to earth. He's witty. He's real. Uh, he's a preacher and professor at Midwest Theological Seminary. Um, the second one is uh, Another Gospel. Another Gospel? Question mark. Um, more, this is more of an intellectual take. Um, establishing the orthodox truths of the gospel, why it's so critical that we hold to them uh, today. This is very readable and captivating. Um, this is written by Alyssa Childers. She's a Christian apologist. Um, she's phenomenal at what she does. Uh, Pastor Katie has been eating up her podcast uh, lately. Um, if you remember the Christian uh, group um, Zoe Girl, Anybody Zoe Girl fans in the house? Some of you, you can, you can admit it. All right, she was one of the, she's one of the Zoe Girl members. Um, phenomenal writer, um, phenomenal apologist. Highly suggest that one as well. Uh, Gentle and Lowly, this is one I quoted from earlier. Uh, I just read this one fully on the, this is, this is all about the heart of Christ. His grace, his compassion, his tenderness, his movement toward us, specifically in the context of our brokenness. Um, there were several lines like the one I read that I just kind of was like, oh, I got to like, I was reading that in the morning. I kept looking at God and going like, you've got to read this. You've got to read this. got to read this. This is written by Dane Ortland. Um, he's a senior pastor at Naperville Presbyterian in Illinois. Uh, some of you may know or heard of Ray Ortland. Um, this is his son, Dane Ortland. Uh, fourth one would be parenting. I referenced a couple of those principles there. 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. Um, Paul Tripp, he's a former pastor, serves as an executive as the executive director for the Center for Pastoral Care, Pastoral Life and Care at Fort Worth, Texas. He's a phenomenal writer. Um, he's able to take theology and put it on the bottom shelf. Uh, very real and practical stuff. I highly suggest this one. Um, there's a couple more that are back there as well. All of these that I'm, that I'm showing you here are all on that table that you can kind of check out before you take off. A couple more back there, grace-based parenting, um, and then shepherding your child's heart is another one. Both of those, again, we offer during our child dedication uh, class. So I encourage you either during the break or afterwards, uh, check these out. Uh, so here's what I want to do. Um, we're going to move to some more discussion. So at your tables, you'll see some questions on the screen that will come up. I want you to pick one, two, or all three of those if you want, uh, and go for it um, at your table. Uh, the next session, let's start at five. No, not five. It's past six. That wouldn't be wise. Uh, let's start that at six. 30. Can we do that? That's 12 minutes. That's not probably not enough time for you, is it? Let's do 6.35. Sure, I'll squeeze the next one tighter. 6.35, be here. Uh, hopefully you have uh, been able to be filled up with snacks and gone to the bathroom. Gabby bought really nice snacks. She's like blowing my budget week one. That's exciting. Woo. Pull that back. Don't get used to that. We're going to have oatmeal packets next week. All right. Uh, I want to jump back into some more uh, teaching here and then look at some resources and if we have time have a little bit more of a bit of discussion there at the end um, before heading out. Uh, one, one of the things actually I want to share from our table, uh, Pastor Bradley had a really cool, a really good insight. We're just talking about that, like when we get in that moment of our kids do something and we're like appalled, like how could you, like what is the, where is this coming from? Um, and re remembering that like 
we, we interrupt, like, we do those things, and God's like, come on. Um, let that be a moment when that happens. Like, instead of it sending you off in the, in the wrong direction, can that be a moment where you actually relate to your kids even more? Of going, um, that's so relatable that, like, the appallingness that I have, I'm appalled at, like, how you would think, and like, oh, that's, that's me. And going like I I now I want now I sympathize with you in, in your struggle there a, a little bit and so I thought that was a key insight like let that move you to some relatability with your kids can you relate to your kids and some of that falling short uh, piece so that's good um, keeping the gospel in front of your kids so really this portion of our time is going to be practical ways uh, we keep the gospel in front of us um, and our kids so we talked about principles. Um, owning the gospel for ourselves, but what are some just some practical ways that we can maybe play that out a little bit? Again, this is under the assumption that you are owning the gospel, um, being gripped by its truth, changed by its power. Um, I also want to remind you as we move into um, this practicality and any talk about strategy, um, giving you steps to navigate maybe difficulty, don't turn these into law, what we just talked about. Don't turn these into law. Uh, these aren't the things that will redeem and restore the heart of your heart or the heart of your child, but they are ways that you can point to Jesus and His sufficiency to do so, okay? Make sense? Again, just a few maybe gospel-centered tips uh, here, four of them. Number one, play the long game. Play the long game. So maybe I'm going to start with a similar question uh, to the one that we started with. How many of you have made it in your walk with Christ? You have reached the pinnacle and achieved perfection right? Nobody. Okay. Makes sense. Now, you should be farther along than you were a year ago, maybe. Uh, remember the writer of Hebrews? He had some strong words for those who were still drinking spiritual milk like babies. He was saying rather than maturing and teaching others, um, you should be further along, but you know that it's been a process. It still is, right? A years-long process for you. Your kids are also in a process, and you have to play the long game. Um, so let me walk this out for you. I think this actually is, it has given me freedom, um, but let me, let me walk this out for you. Do not be deceived into thinking that you have been contracted by God to be the behavior modification expert for your kids, okay? There is a temptation when we are struggling with how our kids are acting out or we can't seem to get a hold on that horrifying attitude that just leaves us exhausted. The temptation is to make the goal into finding the right hack to unlock obedience or better behavior in our children, right? We can get really stuck at like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what's the thing? I just got to figure out and then Sophie will stop doing that, right? Okay, this is especially prevalent, I think, when one child acts in a way that is different than multiple others in the family, okay? We can get caught up in trying to figure out what piece we're missing to fix said behavior, okay? The danger is that we are violating the law principle here, okay? We're looking for the law. What's the right law? What's the strategy? What's the thing that I got to change so that, like, they become, like, I'm missing something because they don't have the right behavior. And as long as I figure that out, that will finally unlock what I've been waiting for. You're, you're, you're putting hope in a better strategy they just haven't figured out yet. Your goal, let me tell you, your goal is not to figure out the right hack to unlock obedience or better behavior. That's not what your goal, that's not what you've been called to. Your call is to walk faithfully with your children through those moments of them defying the good things that you're, you're, you could be doing everything right, and they can still defy you, and they can still be walking out disobedience, okay? But your call is to walk faithfully through those, uh, through those moments Long obedience in the, in the same direction is what Pastor Dan calls this, okay? Long obedience in the same direction. Um, walking with your children faithfully through those moments, pointing them to the truth of God, even if that doesn't seem to make a difference or produce the result that you desire, okay? You have to play the long game. In the same way that you are also in process and you didn't just all of a sudden reach the pinnacle of perfection and obedience in your walk with Christ, they are not going to do that either. So I think that helps give freedom to not getting so flustered or frustrated or bogged down with like, what's the right thing I'm missing? Like, you don't have to, don't be overwhelmed by that, okay? It's not that we shouldn't be desiring to learn, that's why you're here, or to tweak 
our parenting in order to better serve and minister to our kids. We should be doing that, yes. But there is a lie to easily believe that if, they're bad, if their behavior is bad, I haven't figured it out or I must not be doing it right. Wrong. Okay, if that was true, you could charge Father God with being imperfect. Do you get the connection because you're still not there yet, right? Okay. If that was true, then we could charge Father God with being imperfect. Also, believing that lie um, supposes you as their Savior. That when you figure out the best thing, that you finally get them to behave the right way. Again, wrong. Okay, no, no, that, that's, not, that's not accurate. Playing the long game isn't declaring that we have it all figured out and that we have nothing to learn um, and the kids just need to get their crap together. That's not what this means. But it is a call to rest in God's grace and His ability, His ability to lead you as you go. Okay, trusting that He will continue bringing redemption to difficult moments as we trust and obey Him. Your life as a parent is not going to be free of difficult moments. It just won't. You're not going to get there. That's not the part of it. God is calling you to be faithful through those difficult moments. That is the good and holy work that He's calling you to. Okay? It's not to find a place where you can avoid them or get out of it. That is the good and holy work He's calling you to. That difficulty, that's, that's important. Um, it's so hard to see that, I think, on a micro level, <laughs> on the everyday. You guys know this. It's so hard to, to, to see it and to know it in a moment where you're in a battle with your child, okay? You're going to have to zoom out and see a broader timeline of what God is doing. Your call is to be faithful, not perfect. So playing the long game is being consistent when behavior isn't, continually pointing to the one thing that doesn't change, and that's God himself, okay? Your call is not to be faithful, or your call is to be faithful, not perfect. Uh, practical tip number two, ask for forgiveness. Again, we're taught this is under the umbrella of owning the gospel still, right? So ask for forgiveness. Nothing showcases the gospel more than you vulnerably displaying your need for it. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So one of the most humbling things you can do with your kids, and I know many of you already do this, is to go back and tell them you were wrong and ask them to forgive you. One of the most humbling and powerful things. Not only will that build a natural trust between you, um, what you are doing is helping them see that, one, you aren't the standard they are to measure up to. Right? This is important. So when they see this, when they see you in your imperfection expressing your need for rescue and forgiveness, it will help them to recognize their own need for a rescuer. Okay? And that it isn't you. You are pointing them to who it is, the rescuer. That's Jesus. This is powerful stuff. Ask for forgiveness. You are, you are putting the gospel on display to them. And again, I, I think one of the most key things there is that when they see you coming and acknowledging your own brokenness, they can't see you setting yourself up as the solution to that brokenness, which is the whole point. You have to point to Jesus in that. So coming and asking forgiveness is a wonderful way to continue to put the gospel on display. That's number two. Number three, restore quickly. This is one I don't do well with. I'm just be honest right up front. I need to work on this. I felt this all the time with my eldest, um, a lot more than I should. So after an incident or a battle or disobedience, attitude, you name it, um, it should be your goal to restore that relationship quickly, Okay. I'm not talking about being a pushover, okay? Sin needs correction. We've talked about that. But post-consequence is the time for them to see you making the first move towards them, okay? I would argue in the middle of that consequence as well. You are making the move towards them to repair the tension between you. So too often after Kelly receives a consequence, she will continually feel my annoyance at her. Okay, that's my confession to you. And it stacks on top of itself, at everything that she does that she shouldn't. I hate, I hate confessing this, but it is, it's so easy when she's struggling with her attitude for me to make her pay <laughs> with my demeanor towards her. And I just kind of chalk it up to, yeah, that's how you are today. Like, oh, God doesn't do that for us. He doesn't do that. It just it ends up making her more frustrated, which then justifies it in my head. See, proved it out right? All that does is translate to her that I am disappointed in who she is, not what she's done, which is not true, but that's what she gets from that, 
okay? A couple scriptures come to mind. One I read earlier, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. <laughs> do not exasperate them. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's not a better word for that, exasperate, meaning it means to irritate or frustrate intensely. That's not redemptive. It's not restorative. That doesn't reflect the gospel. We need to be restoring quickly, making the first move back, okay? Listen to Psalm 103. This is 8 through 13. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the, this is one that gets me, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so that sin has been paid for, consequence, and in, in the Lord's mind, that sin, my sin has been removed. We are, we're like this, we're tight, we're besties. can't believe I just said that about the Lord. <laughs> it's just how it came out. But you understand what I'm trying to communicate here, right? As far as the east is from the west, God has removed my sin because of the consequence that Christ paid on my behalf. We are, we are one. We are unified. How often can I say that for my kids when I'm annoyed and I, and I and enforce a consequence? The first thing I want to do in naturally in my flesh is to not, you know, run to them like, oh, you're the best. Administer consequences, Yes but restore the relationship quickly. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Make the first move. Confess your love for them. Remind them of their worth because of who they are, not what they've done. Okay, that's a huge piece. We didn't even talk about identity in Christ that much. We did the law and grace. We didn't talk about identity. Confess your love for them. Remind them of their worth because of who they are, not what they have done. Uh, we sang that song this morning, um, I am who you say I am. What's the name of that song, Caleb? What's that song? Is that what it is? I am who you say I am. What is it? You guys know the song I'm talking about. We sang it this morning. Yeah, he's been singing it all day. Um, that the the court, those words are so powerful, and I'm singing that about that. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Are we doing that for our kids? Like, do our kids know that that like our kids can look at us and go, I am who Daddy says I am. I am who Mama says I am. Like, even, even though I screwed up, or even though I messed up, or like I'm struggling, like, that doesn't define me. That's not defining me. So don't, parents, don't act like that's defining them. Okay? You hear me? You with me? Again, this is that fire about that one. That's coming at me. That, I'm, that was self-convicting. All right. Um, so to review, play the long game. Uh, ask for forgiveness. Restore quickly. A fourth and final one here. Um, this will be very simple, but talk, read, and sing about the gospel. How do, you, how do you keep the gospel in front of your kids? Talk about it, read about it, sing about it. Don't stop. Don't stop, okay? You want your kids to be impacted by the gospel, to develop an ownership of the gospel like you, then you got to talk, you got to read, you got to sing about it all the time. Do not tire about talking about the good news. You have got to keep it in front of them. Uh, a couple years ago, I recognized or realized our youth lacked not just an articulation, but an understanding of the gospel. So I would reference it in teaching, um, and I would get blank stares, or I would ask maybe a specific gospel question, what they thought the gospel was. The best answers I was getting was, is it the Bible or something to do with Jesus? Um, yes, uh, but needless to say, uh, I, we spent the next solid calendar year hammering home the gospel. We preached it every week, Every week, we went through uh, a series actual, actually called Gospel Stories. So we retold and reread all the Old Testament favorites, right? Adam and Eve, Abraham and Isaac, Joseph, Naaman, David, revealing the parallels of all the stories in the Old Testament um, to the gospel, the shadow of the one to come, the ultimate rescuer, the real hero of those stories, all pointing to Christ. We did that week after week after week for a year. Uh, the next year, we added what we called rehearsing the gospel at the beginning of youth group. It was a kind of a liturgy of sorts, um, where the first thing before anything else, I'd stand up, the group would come in, we'd kind of quiet down, and I'd put three questions on the screen and then answers on the screen to go as we would go through them. So I'd ask three questions. What does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. That's what they would answer back. I'd say, what is the good news? They'd say, Jesus died for my sins. Why did Jesus die for your sins? so that I could have new life with God both now and forever. We did that, three questions, question and answer, week after week after week, till they almost started rolling their eyes 
at me. But pretty soon I stopped putting it on the screen and we would rehearse the gospel without the cheat sheet. And they were able to do it. And they didn't know that they could do it without using the cheat sheet. And we would do it over and over and over. And all of a sudden they had it memorized. And if you talk to Ellen Morse, um, who's not here tonight, but you talk to Ellen Morse about memorizing scripture and why that's so important to them back in Summit Kids, because they put it here so God can move it here. So rehearsing the gospel, they, they had it memorized, they didn't realize it. They could articulate it. They were learning and understanding it and believing it as they were memorizing it. There should be no surprise to us then over those two years that we saw more salvations than any prior years in, in ministry here as I was leading the youth ministry. Multiple students gave their hearts to Christ. Why? Because we kept the gospel in front of them continually. So you say, okay, Chuck, what does it have to do with my kids and the change I need to see in their life? I'll tell you, ain't no positive good and holy change comes in the life of a child without the power of the gospel. Nothing. That can happen. So you do everything you can to keep it in front of them all the time. So you remember Deuteronomy 6? We started with that, 6 and 7. These commandments that I give you, my word, my law, this is the gospel today is to be on your heart, your hearts. Now impress them on your children. Look at all the ways he talks about keeping it in front of your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Talk about it. Read about it. Sing about it. Do everything you can to talk about the gospel. They need to know it, okay? Those four things. Uh, play the long game. Ask for forgiveness. Restore quickly. Talk, sing, and read about the gospel. Okay, where are we at? Okay. Uh, I think this helps us move into our, our next bit of like resource insight um, as we keep the gospel in front of our kids. So those are some practical things. I want to maybe offer you some resources. Again, many, uh, many of the things on that table back there will help you do that. I want to highlight just a few of these. Um, Arlo and the Big Cover-Up. Okay, Arlo and the Big Cover-Up. My girls love this book, especially Sophie. It's God's restoration in a kid-sized story. Okay, so Arlo does something he shouldn't during rest time and he feels icky inside. He doesn't know what to do, and so he tries to cover up his, his mistake, and he makes it worse. He tries to cover it up, and then he goes and he hides because mom knocks on the door. Sound like a story that's familiar to you? He goes and he hides as, as mom comes. I'll let you read it, but it's a beautiful picture of what— did I bring that one? I didn't bring that one, did I? Is it over there? I'll bring it next week. Sorry. Um, it's a beautiful picture of what happens when we surrender our sin to God. He fixes it, and he restores us. Okay? He covers it, I should say, and he restores us. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, probably not new to many of you, but this is super helpful, reveals the centrality of Jesus in all of Scripture, revealing him as the promised rescuer that we all need. Um, third one here would be Baby Believer Books. These have been recently published. These are fabulously illustrated um, with core doctrines of our faith. Uh, biblical truth is transformative even at a young age. Okay, So we're talking like uh, these are like babies, one, two, three kind of um, age. Wonderful, wonderful books. Many of those are back there. Um, flip through those. Uh, the Winged Feather Saga book series. So this is another set of books that I recently became aware of. This is a, 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 for a little bit older kiddos, maybe 8 to 12-ish. Um, I mean, you could read that younger. You could read it older than that, too, to like, yeah, 32. Uh, this is in, in, in the adventure fantasy genre, uh, but definitely one you could read to your whole family. Um, these have phenomenal reviews. This comes very highly rated. Uh, these are written by Andrew Peterson. So I love Andrew Peterson. He's a musician. He's a writer. Uh, you would be familiar with uh, the song, Is He Worthy? Uh, he wrote that song, um, Be Kind to Yourself. If you don't know that one, write that one down. Be Kind to Yourself. If you want a song that will just like make you weep as you think about your children. Be kind to yourself. Uh, talking about the love of a father. Oh my goodness gracious. Be kind to yourself. Andrew Peterson. He wrote these books with the backdrop of the gospel. Okay. So this is not just an evil versus good story. We have those all over the place. But he lets the characters and the audience see that evil isn't just out there. That we go out and face evil in the world. That they, the characters struggle with it within themselves. Um, and, and there's a grander truth to be found outside of ourselves, okay? So think Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings type stuff. Um, I'm pumped to read these. Actually, that set back there is Kelly's birthday present. She just doesn't know it yet. So we just, we just ordered these. Uh, Theology is the next one. Um, I picked this up at a conference that I was at uh, a couple months ago. We've been going through this um, in our home uh, one-ology at a time. Um, they call them ologies. So these are truths about God, man, and the world. Um, they're painted, each, each like 
Each of them at the most is like a page and a half. It's something like you could read before bed and have like a question or two that you just kind of toss back and forth with your kiddos uh, and then go to sleep. Um, extremely well written. Um, the illustrations are phenomenal. It's the, the truths of God, man, and the world painted in ways that kids can understand and that also resonate really strongly with adults as well. Um, saturated with God's Word is, is what this is. So um, I encourage you to check that one out as well. That one's back there on the table. Um, I, I didn't put a ton of resources on here about music because that would be endless, but let me just say this, is that your music choices are important. Uh, I believe actually there's a theology of music thing too, I'm not sure. Uh, but music choices are important. Um, gospel-centric, Christocentric music, um, obviously worship is good, but even in your worship, is your worship Christ-centered? Is it me-centered um, or is it Christ-centered? That's important. Um, Andrew Peterson, I mentioned him, who wrote the Wingfeather book, Saga book series. He has some phenomenal albums, um, especially with times of the year. So like around Easter, he has a like, uh, pre, um, like pre-resurrection, post-resurrection album. Um, and uh, there's one for Christmas that I'm about ready to start listening to nonstop. Um, it's called Behold the Lamb of God. It is incredible. It, talks, it walks through the history of Israel um, as they're longing for a Messiah, and then here comes the Messiah at Christmas. It's so, so very good. Your music choices are important. City of Light, if you haven't heard of them, City of Light is a phenomenal worship, um, uh, worship group. I encourage you to check out some of their stuff. Um, yeah, your music choices are important as you're listening in the car and whatever else. You know, it's okay for you to not listen to chintzy kids' music all the time. Like, give them some good music. Let them, let them grow up listening to some good music. doesn't have to all be kids, you know, while you're driving. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Cut yourself some slack. Uh, all right. It's 6, oh, 6.57. Okay. Is it really that time already? Okay, here's what, what um, Josh, can you show me the questions that I have on the screen? So take three minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really lost track of time. I didn't realize where we were. Um, take, this is Tom Harmon all over again. Take three minutes and uh, pick one of those questions. Maybe uh, walk through that and I'll give you some instructions here as we, as we close. Okay, so we've got a few minutes here. Jump back into some discussion. Go. Do you like keep, okay. All right. I want to wrap up here. Um, obviously we're past seven. Um, I did just like sneak into the back hallway, just like open just to kind of see what the temperature was back there. Um, it's actually very, very calm. There's lots of laughter and giggles and sounds great back there. Uh, by the way, the young adults tonight, so our young adult group that meets on Sundays, they agreed to come in for the first couple weeks um, and hang out with our kiddos. So that's who's back there, our young adults um, tonight. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, a couple things as, as we go. Um, the first, um, if I could maybe emphasize anything uh, tonight to you as parents. Um, I need to be reminded of this as well. Um, just take a, take a breath. Take a breath. Um, you're good, okay? You're not, God has not called you to be perfect. He's called you to be faithful, okay? Trust that over your 18 years that you have with your kiddos, over that time of you surrendering yourself to the Lord, and when you mess up, you come back, you repent, you trust in Him to lead you, like, trust that over that amount of time, He, he will care for your kids, He will restore your kids, He will redeem your kids. Like, don't panic um, when, you've, when you mess up. Just go to Jesus, okay? Be calm in that. Take a breath in that. You don't have to have it all perfect and figured out today or tomorrow or next week. Like, you're always going to need Jesus to do that. He can do that for you, and he has, he's got your kids. He's sovereign, right? God holds your kids in his hands. He's not expecting you to, to, to do anything more than he could do for them, okay? He will, he will cover that. That came out weird. You know what I'm saying. He'll cover that, okay? The other thing um, was mentioned at this table here as well. It wasn't necessarily part of our necessarily practical tip, but it's a very practical tip. Um, speak, speak the word over your kids, um, speak blessings over your children, um, use scripture to, to speak truth over them. Um, you know, I think something powerful happens. There's power in that, um, not just for them to hear it, but even in times when they can't hear it, when they're sleeping, speaking truth over your, over your, over your kids through the power of scripture. Um, God's word is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates um, down to marrow, uh, 
there is power in the word of God. So use that power um, to speak truth over your kids and into your kids' lives. I think that's important. So thanks for sharing that over here. Um, can I have you stand? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Um, and then if you've got kiddos uh, here tonight, some of you do, some of you don't. Um, if you do, make sure you run and grab them. Um, don't leave them here. <laughs> um, don't leave them here. Um, tell them you love them. Know that you might go home and mess up. <laughs> That's okay. Ask God for his forgiveness and his grace. Let's do that now. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a chance to be together um, as believers, as Christ followers, those who don't have it all together, but know the one who does. Um, so God, we praise you for Jesus, as my friend Lyndon often says, who, who Jesus who came and, and lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died um, so that we could have new life. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we ask that you would continue by the power of your Spirit to work in us as we love our kids well, as you have loved us, we would, and as you love our kids, we would be a reflection of that. God, help us to, to fall on you continually, um, to meet with our kids, to be relatable to them, understanding what you have called us to do and to be with um, our kids. Help us in these things. Um, God, help us to be examples of grace and not just the law. Um, God, we need you. We love you. We praise you. Um, keep us safe on the way home tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you all. We'll see you next week.